Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the OT Podcast. Uh, tonight, just Andrew, and I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm struggling with some technical stuff again. Uh, Paul is traveling, has some of our equipment with him, and uh, he's doing some really cool stuff. But regardless, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, just right through the computer, and it's not going to sound great. I apologize. We had technical issues in the actual recording, uh, because that's not my forte. So I just, uh, <clears throat> I apologize ahead of time, but real quick intro this week. First off, want to give a shout out to our partners. Uh, we've got the guys over at go wild time to go wild.com online, social media platform for hunters and anglers. They've got their shop on there. Super cool <clears throat> platform for, you know, all things hunting and outdoors, lots of pictures going up there. Very, very fun. Um, just a cool atmosphere. Give you something to do if you're sick of the regular social media. Um, and they've got lots of cool items there in their shop to, you know, search from you and points for all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> so good place to be for hunters and anglers. Time to go wild.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Half rack is our other, one of our other partners, so thanks to the guys over there and everything that they do, all kinds of little knickknacks and stuff for hunting, that meat lug cooler, can't wait to put that to use, uh, putting some deer in there, super creative, cutting edge type stuff, uh, but at the same time, some of the, the tried and true stuff that you need out in the woods. Uh, BlackgateHuntingGear.com, Blackgate Cameras, I'll say it a million times over, the quality of those images is second to none. And I got a whopper of a buck the other day on there <clears throat> and you can count, I think he's somewhere in the 14 point range and he is a uh, typical deer, but I, I may never see him again. I'm not, I mean, I was super excited at the time, but uh, you know, at the same point, you know how that goes. So, uh, but it was, there was no, you know, hesitation to realize <clears throat> what exactly that deer had compared to some of the others on the market, which are just blurry. And it's like, oh, I think that's a deer. Maybe it's a buck, but uh, Blackgate Hunting Gear. Uh, appreciate their, those guys. The code for Blackgate is O2Podcast. It'll save you 10%. Real quick, back to Half Rack. That code is Ohio Outdoors 15 to save you 15%. We got Midwest Gunwork. So as we get closer to um, our firearm season, but also duck season and, uh, you know, all the other fun stuff. Paul would be, would be very upset if I didn't mention turkey season. You know, you get on the Midwest Gunworks, got all your parts, accessories, anything, you know, that you need for firearms. Great guys to work with over there and uh, very, very good customer service. Ohio Outdoors 5, save you 5%. X-Vision. 
if you've seen any of the stuff I put on <clears throat> some of the social media, the uh, thermal optics, that's, that's a new ball game right there. And at, the folks over at X-Vision have all the stuff you need there to get you going and get out in the, in the field at night. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of addicting. So be careful. Um, go and check it out. Uh, but be ready to spend lots of hours uh, all night long when you should be sleeping <laughs> uh, because it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. But xvisionoptics.com, Timber Ninja, Jason, Bo, and the crew down there, uh, American-made and designed, super high-quality stuff. They couldn't be happier with that nano sa saddle, and uh, it's like wearing nothing in the woods. Super comfortable up there. Very, very lightweight. And, um, I've had their sticks for a couple of years. I know I've told this story, but you know, those sticks are unbelievably light. If I could put them in every tree, I would. Um, those are one of those things that when I put them up, they always come down with me at night because I'm not going to take any risk that those walk away, uh, because they're just, I'd be lost without them. So thank you to the guys over at Timber Ninja. And that code is just Ohio. That will save you, or we'll get your your shipping will be free. Uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, deer nuts. It's not crazy to think you'll get more deer this year. It's not insane to believe that a twelve point buck will soon be smiling at you from over the fireplace. It is, however, nuts, deer nuts, the savory acorn flavored attractant deer can't resist. Made with advanced extrusion technology, they're easier to eat and harder to dissolve in rain. Grab some nuts at getdeernuts.com slash Ohio. While there, check out some cool merch like No Nuts, No Glory, truck decals, and more. That's getdeernuts.com slash Ohio. Deer Nuts, you could try honey without them, but you'd be, well, nuts. Um, so there's a, you know, obviously that's the read that they provided us, but if you're looking for something new to throw out there and, uh, you know, catch a, catch a cruiser, passing by who might be hungry uh give the deer nuts a shot there okay i think that is it as far as our partners go real quick news from around the state we've got i think we got a few things here uh, i really wanted paul to be here for this but ohio's 2023 wild turkey hatch results came in and let's see, the 2023 Ohio index was 2.8 pults per hen, which is above the 10-year average of 2.7 pults per hen. So I think uh, the, the goal uh, is usually about three or more, but we're above the 10-year average, so I don't know. That might be a Mark uh, Wiley question. Have him come dive into that a little bit more. Uh, that And Paul, he obviously could can give you some insight on that. We've got uh, the reminders to check out the foliage of the leaves all around the state of Ohio. It's hard to miss. And, man, they've been hanging on for a long time. But I'm sure they'll be falling soon. We get one of those good cold snaps with a little storm with it. And next thing you know, they'll all be down. So enjoy them while they're there. Um, just fabulous fall color this year. Uh, ODNR is going to hold a – nope, that's gone. Never mind. Groundbreaking ceremony for a new eco-discovery center at Salt Fork State Park. 
but that event itself is done. Um, I get these throughout the week, so I try to save them in an attempt to give them to you somewhat um, on time. But ODNR celebrates Gorman Heritage Farm H2O Ohio Wetland Project. That's down in Cincinnati. And what else? A lot of stuff about this Eco Discovery Center at Salt Fork State Park. So if you're interested in that, Salt Fork Forks the Salt Fork State Park is a fabulous place to go for the family. So if you haven't ever been, definitely take a look at that. One thing to remind, and I don't think any hunter needs to be reminded, but to stay vigilant for deer activity on the roads this fall. And we all know that they are starting to move. Um, I've seen them at night cruising around. I'm sure your trail cameras are going up. Mine is literally blowing up right now as I sit here and try to record this. We got a little warm snap coming here, but I don't think we're far off from the majority of the movement to really kick off. We're coming up on Halloween, which a lot of these big name guys talk about one of the best days of the year. I, I don't know from what I've seen on my couch from my trail camera, because I haven't been able to get back out in the woods lately is that they are moving. And some of the people I've talked to have either <clears throat> put bucks down or they are uh, also seeing a lot. So the time's here, guys. The time is here. It's going to be, uh, like I said, a little warm up here in the next couple of days, but the rut is upon us. So I wish you all the best of luck. Um, this week's episode is going to be with Greg Farrell. So Greg is a, um, I don't know his official title, but he's a big wig with First Light when it comes to the whitetail development team and Greg has been working with them for a long time. Uh, he was kind of the outsider at the start to first light because he was a whitetail guy. He grew up in Wisconsin about the first five minutes of our interview gets cut off. So you'll hear it. It's again, I apologize, but, uh, such as life. Greg grew up in Wisconsin, big whitetail hunter and still, uh, avid in in the whitetail woods just but also his job is with first light just developing new things and helping to bring the best products to the market i think i've made it pretty clear i i dove into that realm a few years ago and i mean i'm just i, I i've never been happier with a, a clothing line so uh they do a good job and if you haven't tried it i i would encourage you uh, to at least dip your toe in the water. Anywho, next week will be, uh, I think, to give you a, a warning, if you ever listen to the Wisconsin Sportsman, Josh Raley does all of our uploading for the shows on the network, on the Sportsman's Empire. And uh, Josh is going on his little rotation. So we're going to have a couple episodes that we're going to send in to him ahead of time uh, so he can get them uploaded while he's, you know, before he goes out to the woods. And... Uh, so you, we might not have a whole lot of breaking news updates, but, um, you know, if there's anything that, you know, we see that's worthwhile, like post it on Instagram or go wild time to go wild.com is, is, or on the app, you can find us O2 podcast and with that, oh, the music started fabulous. Um, but 
Also on Instagram, it's the.o2.podcast. And I'm, I'm trying to think. The02podcast.com is our website. We're going to have some cool stuff coming up there soon, but we'll get you more details on that. So uh, We appreciate you guys, and bear with us. We're trying to get these shows out in extremely busy times of life, along with, obviously, the greatest time of the year upon us. Um, so good luck to everybody out there. <clears throat> be safe, be smart, and uh, shoot straight. Take care, everybody. You don't, you know, turkey hunt, but you know, uh, I guess we'll go right back into it. Yeah. Where are we, where are we at? Public and private land. And yeah. Yeah. Public, public and private. Um, sorry. No I'm worries. You are here. You're good. We're um, not going to start over. Uh, okay. we'll figure that out. No, but... no, no, no. So what, what do you like? You made a comment. So, like, what what do you think you like more? Do you like just diving off into an area like, oh, we're going to hunt this WMA in a, in a state yeah. that I've never been? Or, you know, you go back to those same honey holes or those same areas you've hunted on those out-of-state trips? Gosh, it's – that's such a tough – I think, honestly, I appreciate them both because they both exist, right? Like, for me, some of the most exciting sits are those sits where you have no idea – you know, what's in the area, right? Like completely fresh, no Intel. It's like a giant could walk by at any moment. Right. Like there is something really exciting about that. Um, and I really like learning, like for me, almost as much fun as, you know, sitting in the stand or hanging in the saddles, like learning these new parcels and trying to figure out how deer use them based off of human pressure and, you know, topographical or the topographical maps and food and bedding and all that jazz right but there's also something to be said for like really honing in on an area you know i i find like for me at least and maybe i'm just not as good at this as some other guys but it seems to be like that third year of hunting an area is like when i really seem to figure it out right like there's a lot of stuff you can figure out pretty quick but I think it just, it takes time in the woods, especially in, in new areas to figure them out. So there's something cool about going back to a place and really just chipping away at it. And so you're just using, you know, like that historical experience, hanging tree stand, you know, maybe moving a little closer, trying to find, you know, I, I guess, so you're using your, like what you see during those hunts, the experiences that you gain to really hone in. Yeah. I mean, I'll do all the you know, the background research ahead of time, like try and gather as much intel from folks, you know, if any, if I know anybody that's hunted there before, do a ton of time looking at, spend a ton of time looking at maps, um, you know, spend a ton of time looking at the surrounding area, depending on if I can get to it or not, you know, do some scouting in the, the summer, via, you know, be it from the truck or boots on the ground. But man, for me, like I've really kind of transitioned, I would say in the last, I don't know, six or seven years to like, it used to be where I put all this time in ahead of time. And like, you know, I would be picking out my tree on Google earth, right. Before I went in, which is super helpful. And I'm not negating the importance of that, but I've just really transitioned into like, I want to hunt deer 
where they are now, like regardless of whether that's early season, right? Like ramp up to the rut, middle of the rut. And that changes so much as the season goes on. And frankly, it changes year to year. Like things happen in the surrounding area with crop rotation, hunter pressure, you know, timber stand improvement, logging, et cetera, that, you know, those things they're, they're in constant flux. So to me, the most valuable, like, if I had to, if somebody tasked me with, you know, okay, you got five days in a year to devote to deer hunting to go kill a deer, like I'm going to wait until like, let's say we're in the Midwest. I'm going to wait until the end of October. I'm going to spend three of those days boots on the ground and two of those days hunting, you know, where previously it was, I would have spent four of those days looking at maps and hunting for or glassing for my truck. Right. And one day hunting. So I've kind of evolved, I think, as I've gotten older and and spent more time i think in more places to more of a system like that well craig oh, go ahead paul I, so what, what do you think kind of kick-started that evolution i mean those are you know four days to one day to yeah. you know, more more of that you're looking for that experience and sam what was the the driver behind that change you just enjoy being in the woods more honestly i think it it came from like i just started finding more success doing it that way you know like in my younger years of hunting i would get so fixated on it's like okay this is the area i want to be in like this is the tree i want to be in and i get in there and you know it's like i'd walk past good sign right or i'd get in there and be like actually man like 100 yards that way looks a little better but i'm gonna stick to my guns and sit here and then sure enough you know it's like you see those deer walking in, you know, that spot you were going to go to, or, you know, the sign that you saw behind you. And, you know, I just, I started having more success, like really hunting fresh sign and hot sign. And, you know, that obviously depends on what time of the season it was. So I think that is what just kind of evolved me more towards that system of like trusting my gut, kind of trusting like my woodsmanship, right. And seeing what's going on in the moment and hunting that more so than, you know, what you think you should or what it says you should do on paper. So I have a question. I've heard you just brought it up kind of well, just hypothetical, but I heard some other people talk about this. You got a week on a property, yep. right? And I, I don't remember exactly what the ratio was you said, but, you know, you're going to spend three days boots on the ground and four days hunting or whatever. I'm an idiot. Okay. And. I, I'm just trying to visualize this. When you say three days boots on the ground, and I don't know how big the property is, you know, maybe that has something to do with it because you, obviously you're not going to spend three days walking an 80 acre parcel because that's way overkill, right? And you're just going to muck up everything. But like I had one recently where I had about a week. My plan was to go out one day. I went out first thing in the morning, just hung in a tree. Then I was going to get down and walk around. Well, I had a really good success in that tree that morning, at least visually. Um, but I wouldn't want to spend three days walking around mucking that up. I would have been, you know, I guess I'm trying to visualize what it really looks like when you say three days boots on the ground. Is it literally boots on the ground or are you just kind of constantly moving, looking, marking spots as you spend those three days, but still actively hunting with your bow in hand, hanging from a tree, getting down midday, going to different spots. What is that? Yeah. My way off. No, no, that's a great, um, a great call out. So like if it's mid season, I'm not giving up three days of potentially hunting to walk around this place, right? Like if season's open, you know, I'm saying that I'm boots on the ground, but what I'm really doing is like, I'm being super mobile. So like I'm hunting, right. It's like, 
I'm going to do my research ahead of time and be like, okay, this is where I want to start. Right. And I might go in there afternoon one, right. Like stand on my back. I'm going to go in there and hunt, but on my way in, I'm kind of, you know, scouting my way in. It's like, you know, I'm headed to this area, but do I maybe end up here? Do I maybe end up in that area? And then based off what I see or learn, it's like, where am I going to go the next day? So it's like, I'll try and spend those three days being super mobile, like while still hunting, um, but doing so in a way that's maybe low, like somewhat low impact, right? So it's like, I'm not putting myself like in the hot seat on day one, I'm trying to set up where I'm still like intercepting what's going on in that hot zone, right? Or like still in the mix of it, but without knowing exactly how deer move, you know, maybe how the thermals are acting in that area. Like I don't want to dive in so deep right away that I blow everything out. So it's like almost three days, call it of like semi-conservative, like mobile hunting. And then, you know, if I still haven't killed something, it's like, I'm going to dive in those last two days because I only have two more days to get it done. And I've gained a lot of intel on kind of how this property plays out in the first three days. And how often has it happened where you do your e-scouting ahead of time, you show up to a property basically in the dark, not not actually in the dark, whatever, your first sit and you're actually successful? <laughs> until two years ago, like zero, <laughs> I've had a streak the last couple of years where I don't know, like three or four hunts I've it's happened like day one, sit one. Um, some of that's just dumb luck. Right. I think some of that is just continually evolving how you hunt, but man, normally I'm like the, I'm the guy that kills on the last day. You know, normally that's just seems to be the way things go for me. After you put all the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's good stuff, man. I I want to ask you about, and, th- and this is something that I'm really like. I've I'm I'm diving more into this, uh, just trying to understand, I guess. But like, what when when you're e scouting or just looking, what what kind of terrain features draw draw your attention? Like, what are you honing in? Like, you see something on your map, you're like, mm, I'm gonna start here. Is there anything? Yeah, and for sure. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on kind of what the area has around it too. Like, for example, one of my spots in Southern Wisconsin that I hunt, like there's no topography, right? Like it's, it's flat and it's flat on my piece. It's flat everywhere around. So like there I'm looking much more at like crops, crop rotation, you know, bedding travel corridors. So like, and when I'm talking about travel corridors, it's like, you know, a lot of this area is ag. So it's like, I'm looking at wood rows that connect you know, essentially ag to bedding, you know, if there's some CRP, things like that. So for me in an area like that, where there's no topography whatsoever, it's more of kind of what is the ratio of food to cover? How does that play into what deer are using for travel corridors? Right. And then that's where I'm going to start. It's like, I'm going to try and get in between obviously where they're bedding and where they're feeding, um, in a travel corridor that I can get into, you know, with the right wind, um, you know, pretty undetected. So in a spot like that, where it's flat, that's definitely what I'm focusing on. You know, now if we go to like Western Wisconsin, where there's a ton of topography. Um, that's where I'm going to start looking more into like saddles, um, you know, geographical features, you know, be it elevation or again, uh, <clears throat> types of, uh, cover and things like that, that create pinch points. But, um, you know, especially in those areas, like where you have that topography, I find it 
almost easier, right? Cause it's, it's somewhat more predictable, like how the deer use those terrain features. And typically I have a lot more success early on in a hunt in a spot like that, where it's like, okay, you know, I see this saddle that connects, you know, this feeding to this bedding, or it's like, you know, this is a ridge that connects one area to another area. And, you know, there's no logging road on it. It's like in those steep, when there's those steep terrain features, it really seems to dictate deer movement a lot more. And I think it's easier to kind of pick those starting points. Yeah. That's I, I, you know, most of my hunting occurs in the, you know, the Eastern Southeastern part of Ohio for deer and it's just hilly, man. You in in hilly, and then you get you know down to the river. I mean, it gets just just treacherous. And so those are the areas that, like like you said, you've got these areas that you know these train features that you know are going to move deer. I just got some access to some some private property here in the county that we live in. It's flat, completely flat, like the tiniest little hill, surrounded by ag. And I'm standing out there looking, you know, and I'm like. I don't even know where to begin, man. I think this is so different than anything I've ever, I've ever hunted, but it's your point earlier. I just start walking around and, you know, I hunted and I'm like, I'm going to see anything. I'm going to move around. And you start seeing those, those signs and those, you know, the, the sign and, and like you said, the travel corridors, I don't know. Just it's, it's neat, man. I like, I like kind of getting into those new areas. That's my thing. If I had to, if I, I want to go somewhere different, like every time I hunt, man, I don't know why I just like seeing new terrain and, um, I don't know. It's all going to change this year, I think. So, well, it's crazy too, like area to area. I mean, I was down in Mississippi last year. Um, and first time I'd been down there, but, um, in like the Delta, right. Like that area, um, it was right at the beginning of December. So it was pretty cool. Cause like, that's when the deer, those deer rut down there. So you can almost like kind of chase the rut South. It's like you hit your Midwest rut and then go down there. But, um, I was down there and, and I was hunting with some folks that, you know, hunted there a lot last 20 years. And they kept talking about ridges. And at, when I first got there, right. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, it's all flat. Right. And like to them, a ridge is anything like, I mean, two feet of elevation gain is a ridge, but especially in that Mississippi Delta, it's like those deer use those ridges because when that floods, like when that water gets high, those ridges, right, are the only spot where they can travel. Mm. So even when it's dry, they've become so accustomed to walking on these, you know, something that I would have totally overlooked, right? Because I'd never really spent much time in that area or hunting that area. And it's like for them in that spot, that's a train feature where anywhere else, it's like you wouldn't even think twice about it. Yeah. One of the, and Jason Red and I have talked about this. One of the thing that like the train features that I just freaking love, man, if I see it on the map and I've got hardwoods or ag or a marsh, I'm going to the marsh 10 out of 10 times to turkey hunt, to deer hunt. I don't know why marshes and swamps. I love it. Now, Wisconsin, you guys got some pretty wild marshland up there. Do you, do you get into those at all? I did a lot um, kind of, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, I had some access to some areas and even, you know, when I was in college too, we had some, some great public that, you know, butted up to marshes. And I always like, it's, I hear what you're saying, right. Cause like in Wisconsin, when you hear marsh, like automatically you're thinking big deer, like mm -hmm. there's always big deer that live in those areas. They're hard to kill. Um, and that's the reason they live in those areas, but it always holds big deer. And then the, the thing I love about them and, you know, when I spent more time hunting them is like, it was another feature that for me, it was 
pretty easy to predict deer movement. It's like, if there's going to be deer coming into or out of this area, like this is where they're going to move. And it seems like, you know, eight out of 10 times, like you were right. So that's a feature that's pretty cool. Honestly, I don't have um, a lot of the places I hunt now. I don't have a ton of access to like marsh ground anymore. So it's been a while, but um, yeah, I always did really enjoy it. All right, Greg. So on the marsh thing, how do you hunt a marsh? And what yeah. I'm going to, I'll try to give you an explanation. I had access to one last week. First time I've ever hunted a marsh um, or area like that. Uh, basically surrounded by hardwoods and acorns. So there's plenty of food. You got this marsh in the middle. I'm trying to figure out how to set up on the wind, right? I don't really want the wind blown into the marsh. Um, in my mind, I was like, I'll set up 40 yards off the edge of the marsh, thinking they'll use the edge of the marsh as their kind of main travel corridor. Um, and I didn't see that. I saw the deer moving 40 or 50 yards off the marsh, right where I was, um, which is fine, right? That's cool too, except they got a little bit too close for me. Um, I, I, just because I, I was trying to overthink everything, I guess, maybe in the process. But how would you hunt a marsh Do you how, when it comes to wind, access, food source, all that kind of stuff, where you're setting up on it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is going to depend on, like, what's around it, right? Like, in terms of food, other hunter pressure, you know, bedding, things like that. In most cases, like, in the areas that I've hunted marshes, like, the deer are using the marsh for cover. Like that's their safe spot. They know they're not getting bugged in there. So what I'm always trying to do is like figure out where I can intercept them going into, right? Like if they're pressured or bumped going into that marsh or frankly, you know, coming out of it, right? At in the evening to feed or in the morning and be going back into it, right? But like that's kind of their safe spot that they tend to use to get to bedding, right? Or they're going into that to kind of get away from pressure and then they're betting on the kind of the very edge of it where it's dry. So, I mean, what, what I've always done is like a figure out where are they going into and coming out of there? Like what's their travel corridor into or out of that marsh. And then B, you know, the first thing they're always going to do, right. They typically have multiple exits from that marsh and they're going to choose which way they're going out based off of wind direction. Like that's their best sense. So I'm always trying to figure out, it's like, okay, based off of this wind direction, like, I don't want to, obviously I don't want my wind blowing right into their exit route, but I know that I need it to be in their favor in order for them to use that exit. So I'm always trying to find that like sweet spot between not giving up, you know, the wind totally, but kind of having that crosswind where they still feel comfortable enough to come out and I'm going to get a shot or an opportunity right before they catch my wind. So that's kind of the way I've always approached it um, and had pretty good success. I love the game, sense. man. The chess, the chess match. It is. That's over, that's one overthinking it. Yeah, I that's that's one thing that and and here we go, months buckle up. That I love about turkey hunting is I can just go in there like an idiot and not have to worry about you know my wind where it's going. I just got to be quiet, you know. Um, and that's that's one thing that like this year I've really, really started to like obsess over the not obsess. Obsess is the wrong word, but be cognizant of the access that I'm you know, that, that I'm taking and, and, and reading into that wind. And I don't know, man, that's uh, it stresses me out, Greg. I don't know why <laughs> it's, it stresses it's, me out. It's funny you say that too, because it's like, I'm, 
you know, when I, when I started at first light, I was, I was employee number seven, I think. Right. And I was the first person in that office that had ever really whitetail hunted. I mean, there was people there that had gone on a few whitetail hunts, right. But they weren't whitetail hunters. And I came in there and I was the guy that would give up, you know, elk hunting or the best week of mule deer hunting to go sit in a tree stand. Like that just baffled everybody. Like they couldn't understand it. Right. Like I was the weird dude. Um, and obviously whitetail hunting is my passion, but there is something so it's almost like stress-free about turkey hunting or Western hunting, because it's like, I don't care about I how care. I smell. I don't care about like, you know, all these little things that we obsess about as, you know, for hunting mature whitetails, like they just seem to kind of go out the window and it's just like, it's a different, like other stuff matters, right? Like your sure. priorities just change, but it is funny you bring up the turkey thing too. Cause like, every spring I get my turkey stuff ready and it's like, Oh, like, I don't care if it smells or I don't need to like run it through my ozone machine. It's like, I can just throw all my stuff in the truck. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. It is. Spray, it is nice. Spray it down with permethrin and then you're about yeah, good to exactly. go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a big dude and <laughs> there are times like in the deer woods, like, you know, we'll hike in two miles in public land and I get to where I'm going and I'm just like, just a mess. I mean, just an absolute mess. I'm like, you know what? Why, why, why am I doing this? Like yeah. I've, I've wrecked everything. I smell I'm sweaty. So I don't know, man, I, I definitely, I definitely enjoy it. So I want to ask you, um, like, so you, you definitely have, have taken that there, there's like, I feel like there's an evolution, right? I've gone through it with turkeys where, like you just start to, you start to play the game differently. Right. And, and you, you, you said that like with your wind in the marsh and like how you're like, yeah, it's a, so is there like a little more risk taking in your, in your decision-making not risk, but like, you're willing to like, you, you know what you can get away with, with deer because you you've had some success and you've been doing it longer. I mean, that, that experience is, it sounds like it's really taking you to the next level. Do you feel like you've taken that step? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a conscious step, you know, that anybody takes. I think it's, it's with doing anything, you know, I've been at this for gosh, you know, 30 years now, right. Of mm -hmm. trying to kill these critters and getting bad, you know, getting better at it. And frankly, like there's a long time where I wasn't good at it. Right. Like when you're young and dumb and just kind of like you, you bull in a China shop, right. Like you learn pretty quick that those things don't help. And, you know, I used to be of the mindset too, where, it's like, I would spend more time in a stand than anybody every year. Right. And I wasn't having success doing that. And I couldn't figure out why. Right. And I was just like, I'm hunting so hard. I'm putting so much time into this. Like, why am I not having the success? And I think it's just, it's an evolution of becoming almost more surgical, you know, in a way where when you're, you know, when you're trying to kill a deer or two deer, right. Like maybe on a property, like there's one or two mature deer that are kind of on your hit list. Like you typically only get one chance at them. Um, and if you mess it up, you know, that might be the last chance you have kind of all season. So I think I've just, I've evolved into kind of becoming more surgical and becoming more focused on doing the right things at the right time than just like casting a wide net and hoping something happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, I I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of the, of the two of those, because it's always been just cast that wide net and I'll take what, I'll take what comes my way. Right. I'm not going to be, 
upset in the whitetail world because it's not like just a huge priority to me. I, I love doing it, but if you know, it's it's not it's not what makes me tick. But I don't know, man. This other guy on the screen is like got me all worked up about to shoot deer, and and, and I'm just like I'm, I'm I'm like freaking out about it, but in a good way, you know. Um, and so I I hear guys like you talk, and I'm like, man, just you you're so much more like detailed than I am, and and just even compared to where I was like three or four years ago, like I'm a thousand times more detailed than I was, you know, just plodding into the woods, like man, I'm gonna shoot whatever comes my way. But I, I so let me I'm gonna ask you a funny question: Who is this is a safe space, Greg. Um, who is who is the worst meat eater personality to go on a whitetail hunt with? And I don't mean worse like in in like I hate this person, but worse like you're driving me nuts, man. <laughs> There's got to be one of them. I know there is. Oh my gosh, that's a tough question. You're like you love the person, but you're just like you're you're really you're wearing me out. There's got to be one of them that just wears you out. Gosh. I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna vote just off of like the the experience yeah. that I have just from the internet and 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 the conversations we've had. I'm gonna say Giannis would be the one that I'd be like, dude, we freaking stop. Will you stop moving? You're pissing me off. I love you. Stop it. Like he he would be the one that I could see that just like we're gonna climb this mountain. You know, like yeah. there's no reason yeah. to climb this mountain. I'm not gonna climb that damn mountain. Like stop you know? it. That's just how he seems like. We've had him on the show. Yeah. Once, great, great guy. We had a lot of fun with him. But that's where my good. vote's going. He, he's a Giannis is an interesting case study because he's got bit by the whitetail bug hard in the last yeah. handful of years and like he has dove in um and obviously he's got you know a lot of resources right like i spent a ton of time talking to him you know obviously mark spent a ton of time talking to him and he's got his his property now so he's like he's on the up and up in terms of you know really understanding this whitetail thing i was going to answer your question with a kind of a <laughs> not a, a cop out but i was gonna just generalize western hunters right because like <laughs> they're so used to like you can kind of get away with like you know you're always doing something you're glassing or you're you know eating snacks while you're waiting or you're gonna get up and like go over to this next ridge to check that out like there's always something to do and you put those guys in a tree sand and tell them like they can't do anything for the next eight hours and like they just freak out, right? It's like they're just like scratching their face like yeah. two hours in, like I yeah. got to freaking out. Yeah. So I uh, I'll I'll call I'll call uh, one person out and just because I have the experience with him and and he knows it's true too. But our um our old uh, VP of marketing when I first started Ross Copperman, he doesn't work at first light anymore, but he eventually was the president of first light after the merger happened and stuff. But he had not, uh, he had not really ever spent any time whitetail hunting. And, um, I got to go on a whitetail hunt with him. I think it was actually his first whitetail archery hunt, um, in Montana. Uh, it was like a, you know, cottonwood, like river bottom situation, just unbelievable whitetail hunting. But um, the first, the first sit we went out, we actually sat together cause I was going to kind of show him the ropes and he wanted to learn some stuff. And it was the exact situation you're just talking about. It's like, we had been there maybe 30 minutes and I could see him getting fidgety and he's looking around and then, you know, he's talking to me and it's like, okay, you need to be quiet and you need to like stop moving or like, we're never going to see any deer. Right. But it's like, it's just those, those people that grew up on like, you know, just Western hunting. It's all they've done. It's just, it's such a different experience, I think. Have you done yeah. any Western hunting yourself? I mean, for elk or mule deer or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, um, 
in college was my first kind of when I started getting out West and I'd do like a trip a year, you know, we'd go out me and my buddies and we'd either chase elk or chase deer, just DIY public land stuff. Um, and then obviously when I started with first light, um, the first four years I worked for them, I lived out in Idaho, um, before we really had a whitetail program. Um, so I spent a lot of time chasing elk and, and mule deer out there. So when we talk about Western hunters trying to go to the, the whitetail woods, I, I can definitely see how they would be fidgety and all that yeah. kind of stuff and not care about scent and all that kind of stuff or not as much. Does it go the other way? Where like if you're coming from the whitetail woods and you're just up there and you're like, I don't want to move or, or is it is it easier to adapt to that Western? I mean, let's be honest. We all know whitetail hunters are smarter, so they probably right, figure it out quicker. But yeah. uh, no, I mean, I think Michigan. it for sure goes the other way. Like that was one of the hard lessons I had to learn elk hunting is like the first three or four years I did it, I was just way too careful. And it took, you know, me actually going out with some people that knew what they were doing and like, dude, elk are big. They make a lot of noise. Like you need to be way more aggressive. And I think that was a hangover of, right. Like my whitetail experience where I was just like, I was too cautious. Um, and I, you know, I never had success until I kind of changed how I hunted elk because of that kind of whitetail hangover, I think. Awesome. Well, it's good. Stuff. Greg. So we just talked about that cold front or, or I guess earlier and heck it might've got cut off in my technological errors, but the, uh, you guys had that cold front come through there in Wisconsin, uh, that really jump started a lot of things and moving forward today is the 18th. I think we'll probably air this about a week from now. So we'll be pushing, knocking on the door in November. Well, you, you know, there's a big spike in that activity of the whitetails and then, Will it taper back down or is this like, we're just going to move right into the rut? Will the rut be pushed forward in your experience? You know, cause I think there's some guys out there that will tell you that early October cold front is, you know, not as hyped up as it should be, or it, as, as some people make it out to be, I'm just curious, like what to expect, at least in your perspective, uh, moving forward on, on the activity range. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that the rut happens the same time every year. I think our perception of it changes based off of these, you know, external features, like what's going on with the moon phase, what's going on with temperature, you know, what's going on with weather, things like that. I don't think, um, the actual rut changes. I just think how much we see of the rut, you know, during active hunting hours might change based off those external features. So that's kind of what I've, you know, I was experienced and, and believed to be true. Um, so I think in terms of the ramp up, you know, it's kind of the same every year. It's just using those external factors to your advantage to really capture that. Right. So it's like, for me, I mean, if I had to choose hunting like pre-rut or rut, I'm going to choose pre-rut every single time, you know, like that week leading up to the actual kind of like, you know, true peak of breeding for me is like the sweet spot because I just, I've had better luck calling deer. I've had better luck seeing deer. They're still a little bit more predictable, right? Like they're still on some type of normal pattern. They're just more active in that pattern where once you get to true breeding, it's like, you're at the mercy of what those hot does are doing, you know, and you could bring any buck, any direction from the next County into yours or vice versa. Right. If, if the wrong doe or the right doe does, you know, a certain thing. So, um, I always, I always kind of favor that pre-rut time over. I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I'm going to be sitting in the woods, right? Like if I got a tag in my pocket during the rut, but if I had to choose one, I really like that pre-rut time. I love it. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people talking about that. The pre, the pre-rut. That's like, if you asked me if I had, if I had two days to turkey hunt, sorry, Andrew, uh, I'm going to take the last two days of the year, last two days of the season. That's where I want to be out there. So yeah, it's mm. interesting. People, people like just how, like the, the perception that people have of, of the season, you know, it's, it's neat how everyone's, everyone's different. So that first week in November, Greg, you want to take a guess of where I'm going to be? Take a guess. Turkey uh, hunting in Pennsylvania. That's where. <laughs> <laughs> So Funny. your spring comment got me all fired up, man. <laughs> hey, I right. don't get me wrong. I I like turkey hunting. I just yeah. I didn't want to mislead you that I was more of a hardcore Greg, we, turkey uh, hunter. We can kick we can kick him off the call at any time. Just give me <laughs> no, the, the sign, okay? No. The uh, all right, Greg. So you work for First Light. Uh, I love First Light, and I probably have way too much of it, which probably makes you happy. But. Um, Anybody who's it's an obnoxious amount, Greg, I'm going to tell you obnoxious amount. It's insane. I get, yeah, I'm that guy, <laughs> but the, to somebody who might be new to it or is looking to upgrade stuff, can you give us, um, kind of three, three items within the first light lineup that would be, here are the first three things that you really need to look at putting into your, your arsenal before you go head first and, and the whole closet becomes first light. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love this too, because this is like, this is realistic, right? Like at the end of the day, the stuff we make is expensive. It costs a lot of money. Um, I think it's very unrealistic to think that someone would, could, or should, you know, frankly go whole hog, right. When they come into first light. And when people ask me this, you know, even if they don't ask me as detailed questions, you just said like, Hey, what first light piece should I buy? Like, this is kind of how I attack it because, um, I think a, you know, getting people to understand the benefit, like you're not, you're actually paying for something. You're paying for a technological advantage in textiles and design. And like, you will notice that in the field. Right. And personally, I want somebody to appreciate that and buy into that before they spend all their hard earned money on it. Right. So the first thing I always tell people, like if you're only going to buy one piece of first light, right. Or two pieces of first light, like focus on your base layers, your base layers are your foundation for everything else. And like, if your foundation falls apart, it doesn't matter what you have on top of that. So like, you know, an example of that, you could buy our most expensive outerwear pieces, let's say jacket and bib. Right. But if you have cotton long johns on and like a cotton sweatshirt underneath that, that outer, you know, those outer pieces, they're not hurting you, but man, like you're maybe getting 50% of the value they have to add because your foundation isn't working with those pieces and it's doing you more harm than good. So my suggestion always for like those first pieces is get a next to skin, you know, base layer. And what that piece is going to be, frankly, kind of depends on like what that person's doing or the majority of their hunting. Right. But like, for me, what I always do is like our wick, which is our lightest weight merino wool pieces, like that is next to skin on my top a hundred percent of my hunting season. Like in the early season, if it's super hot, that might be all I'm wearing. In the very last sit of the year, like that's my next to skin piece, and I'll build on top of that. So my first suggestion would be like a wick base layer. I love the hoodie um, because I, you know, get a little extra protection, whether it's concealment or you know, 
from the sun or et cetera, if I need it, but you know, I can flip it down if I don't. Um, and then on the bottoms, um, something like our kiln, which is kind of our midweight, um, is typically my go-to, like once it's cold enough to put long johns on, like that's kind of the weight that seems to be the sweet spot for me. Um, so I really like that, you know, it's like a 250 weight Merino wool long john, um, would be like the first, I don't know if you can call it the first piece of the first two pieces, but that was, that's always my suggestion is like Merino wool next to skin base layers. I would agree with you 100%. So, um, if there was like three things that were extras, bells and whistles, you know, yep. you got that gift card for Christmas or whatever, you know, that you're able to just kind of splurge on, what would you tell people to consider? So my other two I'll, pieces... I'll give you my three after the fact. So let's okay. see. I want to see what you say. Cool. Cool. Uh, my other two suggestions, kind of regardless of any other external circumstances, I would say origin hoodie, which is like a, it's kind of a midweight, um, what I would call like second or mid layer, right? Like fleece hoodie. Um, it's super feature rich. It's got a built in face mask, kangaroo pocket, thumb loops, the material itself, you know, it's fleeced interior. So it's really comfortable. It adds a little bit of insulation, but you have like a durable water resistant, um, you know, exterior dead quiet, right? It's like, that would be a piece for sure. And then in addition to that, I would suggest our source jacket, um, which we kind of call like the white tailors puffy jacket. So everybody loves puffy jackets because their warmth to weight ratio is incredible. But typically when you think of a puffy jacket, it's loud, it's delicate, like the opposite of what a whitetail hunter needs, right? So we kind of created a durable, quiet puffy jacket for whitetailers. And man, like if you had a wick top, an origin hoodie, and then that source jacket, you're covered for, man, like 90, probably 90%, 80% of most whitetail seasons. Like once it gets below probably, I don't know, let's call it mid forties, right? Like you're kind of tapped out with that system. But if you think about like the majority of days in the field as a whitetail hunter in the Midwest, like 75 to 80, you know, down to 45, like that's the majority of your day. So I kind of love that like trifecta of a combo um, on top. And personally for me, like my top, the, what I'm wearing on my top is more important than what I'm wearing on my legs. So like, I'll always defer to like, get the feature rich technologically advanced pieces on my top. If I have a budget and I'll kind of sacrifice what I'm wearing for pants. Cause they're just as a whitetail hunter, they're not quite as important to me. Beautiful. So my three solitude vest, I think that that thing, and I'm not, I haven't been a vest person my whole life, but recently I've gotten on board with that. That thing is, it's good for the outside. It's good for the inside, super warm pockets. Beautiful. Uh, the transfer pack. So taking it oh, yeah. outside of the, uh, the clothing side of things. Most of what I do is mobile uh to some degree and i never thought i need a bag that big but i find a way to fill it and it is uh, i love that thing it's super well thought out and then just recently i discovered the the beauty of the origin pants so uh wore those as my outer layer and it was like wearing sweatpants in the woods and talk about comfortable man holy smokes those were uh i've been a i've been a huge fan of the the hoodie right but when those came out and I'm like, all right, I got to try them because, you know, I 
just got to and uh oh my gosh man i wore those last friday and i was i thought felt like i was at the you know sitting on the couch watching football but he sent me a text and it was like these things are like freaking sweatpants dude Love them. i was so excited it was yeah. like a little girl i was so excited but the, the cool thing about those is like they are i mean they're like a technical sweatpant right like they have the features that you need to wear them as outerwear. If you truly want it. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time hunting with like those as my pants. Um, but they layer so seamlessly under any of the other garments too, just because of the fabric and the fit. But man, like if you're wearing them as outerwear, you're not giving up anything in terms of like pockets or features that you would on like a typical outerwear pant. Yeah. Yeah. That's you good. know, I, we, I switched over and started, started getting first lights. So it was, it was, I think my third season wearing it. And it has been, it has been tremendous. Uh, the, the go farther or stay longer. Like that is, that is a real thing. And I don't, I, and I think once, once you get start, you know, start adding the pieces, like you really, I think people, they just, they understand that. And that's, I think the, the number one thing for me that I've, that I've loved is like you said, the ability to layer the, the different pieces of the, of the gear that's been that's been huge i got the uh the sanctuary 2.0 jacket i love that thing man i love the sleeves i love how tight they are not tight they're just tapered i love the taper on them and we were we were hunting in northern michigan and i mean it was 10 inches of snow on the ground it was five degrees and i'm just sitting there just loving life man <laughs> so in the hand mop that is my favorite my favorite <laughs> piece my favorite piece i love it i use it nonstop. love it I, so. I mean, I appreciate what you just brought up too, because I I get this all the time. It's like, well, my, you know, my grandpa and my dad killed big bucks and Carhartts and, you know, cotton flannels. And you know what? Absolutely. Like there's people every year that killed giant deer and blue jeans and a sweatshirt. And you do not need to buy first light to kill big deer, right? Like you do not need to wear high quality clothing to kill big deer. Like it happens all the time, right? Without wearing our stuff. But I, you know, what I always say to people is like, the, the best way I can kind of describe it is like people used to drive like a horse and buggy, like into town, right? Like you could still do that now if you wanted to, but you don't have to, right? Like there's a better solution now. And that's kind of what we're trying to provide, right? Like at the end of the day, if it's, let's say mid-November and you have to get down from your stand because you're cold or uncomfortable, like to me, you're giving up a big opportunity, Right. Like, yeah, you can come in and warm up and go back out, but you gave up a huge opportunity. And if your clothing system allows you to sit out there all day and remain focused because you're comfortable, like you're giving yourself an advantage. And at the end of the day, like being successful in the whitetail woods, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're playing a percentage game, like every single percentage that you can tip in your favor, whether it's scent, you know, your camel, like, you don't need camouflage to kill deer. You can kill deer in solids, right? But if it affords you that extra second or two seconds that you might need where that deer doesn't know what's going on or you're able to draw your bow, it's like you're tipping the scale in your favor. If you can spend an extra three hours in the woods because you didn't have to get down in the afternoon, you're tipping the scale in your favor. Like to me, all of those little percentages add up to like a big difference, right? So that's always what kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, that's that's it. Like for... and. You know, in the spring, I mean, man, I, I just, I destroy clothes. Doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter. And, and I've got, I've been putting, putting that new first like gear under some exercise in the spring and it's held up. So that's, that's been, yeah, very, very, very happy with it. I you know, love what you guys are doing. Um, 
the cash pattern. I, I got, I actually just bought the origin hoodie uh, in cash and that's, I'm going to use that during Turkey season. That thing is sweet, man. I love Greg, it. Greg is Plus never coming like... back on our show again because you just derailed <laughs> oh, the whitetail talk to birds no, left and so, right. So the origin hoodie, I bought it. I bought it last year or like right when it came out and it was a little snug. I lost some weight. So it fit. And I, and I, I, I wore it extensively on my, my, my hunts the last couple of weeks, whitetail hunting, Andrew. And I put that thing on. I'm like, man, I feel like a freaking badass. Like this thing <laughs> looks sweet, man. You put the hood up and the mask. I'm like, this is cool. I like it. Ninja just, Paul. Yeah. And the source jacket, that thing is, that thing's pretty cool too. So I had to steal that. My, my son pilfered that from my closet last year. Cause I couldn't fit in it, Greg, uh, <laughs> this year came on, man. That thing, yeah, that thing's awesome. So, but well, well good deal, Greg. Thanks. Thanks man for, for all you guys do. Um, one last, one last story, the, the, or question, the, the guy that, that works at the store there in Idaho mullet, what's his name? I see him on Instagram all the time. Can you remember his name? Heath. Keith, that, that guy's a tri- Keith. That guy's a yeah. trip, man. Is he is, like his persona is the same in real life? I mean, I, I feel like I could walk into the into the first light store and be like, I like this guy just immediately. Like the guy, I just love his personality, man. He seems like a hoot. He's like, if you walked into that store and didn't know anything about him, like he's just the nicest, most like personal kind of like, you know, not. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like, there's no like intimidation around like he just he makes people feel comfortable he's a goofy dude he's super sociable you know but man you get that dude on the hill and he is one of the deadliest guys that i know i mean absolute stone cold killer he spends more time on the mountain than you know probably 95 percent of people year round just scouting finding critters learning critters and and it pay i mean pays off for him the dude's insanely successful on the hill yeah yeah Put him in a whitetail stand. How would he eat freak out? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know if Keith's done, done much whitetail hunting uh, yeah. in the Midwest. Anyways, I know he's done some stuff in the West, but. Good, good deal. Yeah. Greg, anything coming out uh, that you can talk about in the whitetail world and or turkey world or waterfowl world? Uh, man. Um, I mean, there's definitely some stuff coming out. How much I can talk about is dependent on whether I want to keep my job or not, but. Yeah, don't um, say anything. <laughs> There's uh yeah, there's, there's some, I will say this, there's some big, big stuff, big changes coming in the whitetail world. Um, next year will be the biggest year for first light whitetail since we released the whitetail specific pattern. Um, mm-hmm. so you're going to see some serious changes to our offering in general. Um, do you see Munz's you... face? Just panic. <laughs> I just total panic. How much money am I going to have to save <laughs> is the question. That's the that all depends on how much fun you want to have. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, if you, yeah, I mean, if you pay attention to really closely, right. To some of the, um, you know, team folks that are out in the fall, out in the field this fall, you might catch a sneak peek of what some of that stuff might be. Um, but yeah, next year is going to be a, a huge year for us and a really exciting time. If you're a whitetail hunter and um, a first light customer. Awesome. Very good. Well, Greg, Greg appreciate thanks for your time, man. Yep. And good luck this fall when you get out there. Uh, we'll, we'll be watching to see see what happens out in the woods for you. Yeah, you guys as well. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck to you guys. 